Hello, everyone. This is Sierra McCleave, and I am thrilled to welcome you to another episode of the Make a Dent podcast. So, so excited to be back. And I'm very excited about today's in-person videoed episode, which you will be able to view on the Make a Dent podcast YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us. My guest today is the incredible Lynn Christian. Lynn, at the age of 39, left an award-winning teaching career to start their very successful life and business coaching business, Soul Salt Inc., which we are in the... Uh, the office. <laughs> yes, we are in the office now. Started competing in triathlons at age 50, where they were consistently ranked first or second in their age group. Started competitively fencing at age 58, and is currently ranked, as of last week, 10th in the nation in their division. Lynn is the former director of innovation at Franklin Covey Coaching and a former ambassador for the WABC World Association of Business Coaches. Lynn is a master certified coach via the International Coach Federation, a status held by fewer than 2,000 individuals in the entire world. Lynn is certified in Marshall Goldsmith's Elite Stakeholder Centered Coaching, is a Franklin Covey certified coach, and a certified MBIT coach, which means multiple brain integration. Lynn holds an MBA... Lynn holds a BA in education from Brigham Young University. In addition, Lynn is certified in conversational intelligence, a program from the late organizational anthropologist Judith E. Glazer, who's, which uses neuroscience-backed research to support individuals in conversations. Together, Glazer and Lynn also created the podcast, What's Your Conversational Intelligence? Lynn has several publications credited to their efforts, including a new book to be published in the coming months since embarking... On their entrepreneurial coaching endeavors, Lynn has helped thousands of people step into their core selves and live the lives they were destined to live. Lynn, welcome to the show. Thank you. Let's put a dent in it. <laughs> let's, let's make a dent. Well, you, you're making a dent in so many people's lives and, and your own in so many different ways. Um, first off, I do want to formally, like in person, say congratulations on your fencing meet last week. Thank you. We were conversing via text and Lynn was able to share that you earned the 10th ranking, 10th in the nation in, in your division in my last division. week. Yes, I was really surprised because uh, the closest I've ever been is 13th. Yes. And then I was injured and mm -hmm. spent a year and a half recovering from um, shoulder surgery. So I knew that you had been injured. I didn't know how long the gap was, so a year I, and a half. I took six months to, to heal uh, so that I could get strong mm -hmm. because that's a brutal injury to recover from when you get surgery. And so I got as strong as I could, mm -hmm. uh, without being able to fence, um, and limited on, you know, lifting and things, <clears throat> excuse me, but then got surgery on the 27th December. And, um, so I didn't really return to a national tournament mm -hmm. until last weekend. And that is amazing. So before that you were ranked 13th. I got 13th. Yes. By two points, I missed out on the medal round. This time I missed out by one point. And this time it was my mistake mm -hmm. that took me out. In fact, I, my coach and I talked about it. There were three mistakes I made <clears throat> or I could have easily won that match, that bout, that fight, whatever people like to call them. Mm -hmm. And, um, I popped up when I should have stayed down and their tip hit me before my tip hit them. And it's, uh, it's a game of milliseconds and, um, uh, millimeters. And so, yeah. And, and yet I learned so much from when I lose and this other person had been working hard all last year to bring mm -hmm. their scores up. And so I congratulated them and went down and watched them in the next match. Um, because 
as though, even though I'm competitive, I'm not the kind of comp- competitive person that wants to crush people. Mm-hmm. I want to grow with people and see how we can do together as we grow. Well, that's evident in, if you look up Lynn, which I encourage you all to do any of your work, you can see that you are there to help and grow with people. And, um, I want to get into all of that. Let's keep talking about fencing for a minute because you sent me some of the videos and I have never really studied fencing. Yeah. It's an obscure it's incredible. sport. <laughs> but, and it was so fast, like some of the points. Um, and I didn't know what was happening, but you said, here's like the finesse one. You sent me a couple and I was like, that's incredible. I don't know what's happening, but I believe that you, you talk either in your Ted talk or in the book, um, which we'll get into the book. I'm so excited about kind of your initial introduction to fencing. Can you talk a little bit about that? And then, um, I kind of want to get into like your, the Lynn Christian origin story because you're competitive you have been a coach for now 20 years? Yeah, we went since 1998. Okay. Um, so let's talk about fencing first. What, what, how did that start? And, and you started at, when, when did you first like pick it up? Uh, well, so when I was young and the, with the weapons in the other room, I could pull it out. I've got a collection here because I, oh, I use this as a strip in the morning when it's too cold outside Okay, to, to <laughs> really get my feet under me or it's too wet mm-hmm. in the garage. Um, I had a cousin and, uh, we were traveling down to visit his family and he was in a play. I think it was Pirates of Penzance Mm -hmm. and he had a foil. He was learning to fence so that he could be in some of the sword fights on, on set. And I looked at that sword and it wasn't a toy. Mm -hmm. There was no plastic on it. I mean, it was metal and the grip on it was, uh, very much something when you put it in your hand, you went, this is a weapon. This is not a prop. Right. And so I asked him, I said, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. And he said, oh, it's a sport. It's an Olympic sport. So as soon as the Olympics came out, I watched and I was like, that is so cool. Yeah. I want to do that someday. And he eventually gave me his foil and mm-hmm. said, take a class when you get to college. So when I got to college, I saved it until my last semester because mm-hmm. I really wanted to get through school quickly. Yeah. Uh, that was my objective. And I got through a half year early. And one of my last, my very last semester wasn't one of my last classes was a fencing class. And the day that I, un, uh, I, I disarmed another person mm-hmm. with a parry and their, their, their weapon went flying. The, somebody came over to me and said, we want you on our team. And I was like, that's great because I'm just about to graduate and I won't be qualified because oh, I won't no. be a student anymore. Oh, okay. Uh, but I promised myself I'd get back to it. And so I was more interested in it than I was good. Mm-hmm. And so I carried that foil around with me. Believe it or not, this is so, this is so paradoxical. I kept it in the closet. Mm, okay. And um, at some point after I did come out of the closet, so did the weapon. So did the weapon. Yes. <laughs> All right. And so I was doing triathlons and there's a whole story that got me into that. I wasn't expecting to be a competitive athlete there. Uh, that was really spawned on by a gym that I had coached, the Jim Jones gym down here. Okay. And um, they came to me after I coached them and said, we want to coach you. And I got into it and did a mm-hmm. double body deadlift and went, oh, wow, I can be strong. You know, you're lifting 245 at 120. And it's like, wow, I am stronger than I know. And they said, yeah, but if you want to stay here and keep training, you've got to get into a competitive sport. And so I, I wanted to do triathlons because I almost drowned as a child. Mm-hmm. 
And I have it in my notes that I want to. Yeah, and so I was just afraid, and I don't like being afraid because one of my core values is courage. Mm -hmm. Another one is freedom, and the third is integrity. I was going against myself. And so I did uh, a really good season of triathlons. But as you, uh, you know, there I am in my 50s, I started to notice that that constant recruitment of large muscle groups and large actions and mm-hmm. just go, go, go. It was bringing my adrenaline out. I was losing coordination. I wasn't f- as nimble as I wanted to be. I was losing balance. Mm, okay. And I thought, I don't want to age this way. And so I started, my son and I did a season of Spartans and I actually got on the podium at a Spartan race in, uh, in, uh, California. And I just thought this is the time because I want the coordination back. I want the nimbleness back. I want the brain function that comes with fighting another person and having to figure out. And I, uh, I, I say it now with a sigh of relief. Uh, it's a 10 year learning curve to get really super good. Okay. And so I'm about five years into it. I have a goal of being on the world team, being invited to be on the world team and qualify. I have a goal of getting a national medal. I've been able to get regional medals inside and outside of the state. Um, I have four medals. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um, That's it's, all. <laughs> it, well, it's not as easy as getting a medal in, in the, it, I found it not as easy because I got a medal, in, I guess, second place in my first try, but that was came from training mm-hmm. right? and also the fear of drowning. Yes. And so yes. I was going to live, you know, <laughs> yes. uh, I was but, going to live and then, and then win second place. <laughs> yes. This whole thing with the fencing is you better get your feet underneath you. You better understand timing. You better understand psychology. You better understand small motion very delicate finesse. I mean, swordsmanship from the ancients. Um, and that's why the Europeans are so good at it. Mm-hmm. Although our world team crushed the Europeans yes. this year in worlds, um, which I'm so proud of them. It's, it's one of those things where it really put me in a whole new mindset and, and humbled me. You know, when you're learning with an eight year old and they're beating you, and you're okay with that because it's like, I have to learn somewhere. Yes. Uh, and that's also very safe because the eight-year-old's not trying to harm you. Right. <laughs> and they don't have the ability to harm you too much. I had to read that part in the book twice because I was actually listening to it. I downloaded an app to listen to it because I could kind of short period of time to get through. And I wanted yeah. to get through as much as possible. And uh, I heard that part in the book where it was at like at 58, I was fighting a 58 or at 58, I was fighting an eight-year-old. Was that, mm-hmm. or those the numbers? So I read it twice and I was like, what? And the story that goes along with that is so sweet. And uh, what did he say? It was a, he was, was, it was adorable. He, he stopped, he's paused the bout and he, he came over to me to coach me. Yes. And he said, Lynn, I'm pretty good and I'm beating you. But almost like, let me give you a couple of tips. Let me take you under my wing. Yes. And so he did. That's incredible. And I listened and he was right. Yes. Yes. (laughs) One thing that is a theme that I've noticed as I've been diving into your work and getting to know you, because uh, full disclosure, Lynn is my coach. Yes. (laughs) An incredible coach. (laughs) And Lynn is my coach. And we've been working together for probably about six months now. Mm -hmm. And um, one thing I've noticed is about courage perfectly sums it up in that you're not afraid. It does not seem that you have been afraid in your life to start something no matter when, uh, starting, let's see, leaving your teaching career at 39 to start a very successful business. Entrepreneurship is no joke, right? Uh, people are scared to do it at any time. Um, 
let alone 30s, 40s, 20s, anytime you did that, uh, learn to fence in your 50s. Um, I believe you will get all those goals that you are are aspiring to just because I, I know you and I know your tenacity. What, how did that come about? If you think back on little Lynn, how did that come about where, where you were able to be brave like that and deploy that courage? And was that something that, that grew? What is it? Was it always a seed within you or is it something where it grew over time? And then at some point you were like, I'm just going to do whatever I want and learn whenever I, whenever I want. It's a good question. Um, I'll give what I, what I think my current answer is. And it's one it's in the book. It's one reason why this is chapter three in the book. There are certain elements of our soul. And of course, soul salt is a company I didn't name the clients named it. And yet it seems appropriate. There are elements in our soul that when we get in touch with them, they seem to be the levers, the pulleys, the access points where we can find the bad assets in us. So in my book, courage isn't like not being afraid. I was super afraid to swim in that first triathlon. I, I was shaking in my wetsuit. And, um, and I've peed in my wetsuit before, just literally from the fear, you know, as you're standing there. And my fear was the danger of the water and the danger of people swimming around you. And I did actually have one where I, I was going to drown if this person kept pounding me. Mm. Um, the courage is looking to me for how do I stay intact as a human being and be my best self and go through this? And it's not bravado and it's not putting yourself against something that's going to crush you. It's not, you, I, I've done those before where you get crushed and it's like, oh, that's not bravery. Mm. That's stupidity. All right. Um, and so I feel like there are elements inside of us and courage has always been one. And in fact, uh, I've been called a woman, a woman of courage. I'm a person of courage um, to be correct. Mm -hmm. That is just a piece of me that is afraid and yet there's a piece of personal honor with self that if there's some truth to it and I need to face it, then I need to face it mm -hmm. as hard as it might be. Did you recognize that or, or like looking back, did you recognize that, uh, when you were younger, your ability to deploy that, or was it something that after experience and experience, it, it kind of built up to where you were able to align those things that if this resonates with me, um, even though I'm scared, I'm going to do it. Well, there's a writer, um, I think her name is Martha Grimes, who says sometimes we don't know who we are until we see what we do. And I think that came to me that way. I looked at a history of uh, fighting face to face with a, a very feisty. And some people in our city would say she was one of the nastier older women in the valley. Mm -hmm. And right face to face with me telling me you're a little girl you grow up to be a lady and you put that dress on. And I fought her back and said, I'm not a lady. I'm not going to wear the dress. I'll never be a lady. And you know, when you're four years old and you're in uh, a paternal grandmother face and she's formidable and you're willing to say your truth, there's something there. And so Absolutely. I looked at this history of stuff and then having people say, that's really courageous that you're talking about this or it's courageous that you're doing that. I'm go, well, that may be why they, what, the word courageous means then, mm. you know, so you piece it together. Yeah. Like, don't we all get feedback from people if we're listening and they give us feedback 
when we've done things with them and then we can look at ourselves and go, is true for me or true, not true for me. Right. Speaking of, of looking at yourself, man, I have so many topics that I want to bring up, but you can tell, uh, or I could tell, I think anyone who tries to listen can tell when you speak about one of your mentors, there is like, there is a deep respect there, uh, and almost something sacred. And I, I didn't realize I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to learn more. I'm excited to talk to you about it because I, I had a suspicion about it. And then I listened to your, uh, memorial podcast for, for Judith, for Judith ah. <laughs> e. Glacer, and it was beautiful. I strongly encourage anyone to go listen to it. The name of the podcast is what's your conversational intelligence. Okay. So miss Judith E. Glaser, it, it's very obvious made a huge dent on your life. Yeah. Can you talk, uh, uh, speak about her and how you came into contact with her? You, you received a training. Yeah. I went through her. a certification. And it was, it can, you can tell with your podcast and, and just how you speak with her, it seems like you guys became very close. At the end of her life, we had a chance to work together and we saw each other. Mm -hmm. um, so I met her in 2017 and she passed away in 2018. Really? So it was a really quick flash really? of connection. I would have guessed that you guys had been interacting for 10, 15 years. Yeah, no. That's she, incredible. Yeah. So there, her ads would come up because I'm a, a, a member of um, a group, WBEX, which was hosting her her program, her certification program. And I kept seeing it and seeing it. And then one day her picture came up and I was like, I want to listen to a podcast or something she's been on. So I started listening to some YouTubes. And as I listened to her and what she was saying, I was like, I have had that experience. I get that. She's like me. I was like, I need to learn from this person. And she was genuine and vibrant. And I, I imagined one time I talked to her about if, if we were kids together on the playground, although she was older than me, so we probably wouldn't have been in, in grade school together. I said, I would have found you and you would have found me and we would have talked about things that nobody else talks about because we could see each other. Yes. So when somebody has an experience, like she's, she was famous for saying words are not things, they're representations. Mm -hmm. But I knew I had an experience that words would come to me and then I'll give them to my clients and then the client will go, Oh, that's what I needed to hear. And they'll write it down. That makes a difference. And I'm like, where did that come from? You know, I've learned yeah. that I'm not the possessor of the knowledge. I can be the channel okay. of the message. And she was like that. And so, uh, and I was a visual thinker. And so, she said something about her art and I, I posted something online with one of my doodles cause I would doodle our lessons together mm -hmm. and that got to her and she wanted to know who I was. And so we talked and then she had pancreatic cancer and she was expected when she got the diagnosis, she was expected to live three months and she lived three years and uh, wow. maybe plus beyond that. Wow. So we knew that she was in with a really, harsh diagnosis yeah. and she was using her teaching of us for that. And then I asked her in some of these, uh, small one-to-one -one conversations. Like I only met her face to face once in New York when she signed my book. Wow. And we, and we had a brief conversation together and then I was in a group with people. Um, but we went deep with each other because I asked her, 
can we start a podcast where we can record you and leave a legacy of your stuff? And so that's what we did. We worked really hard and uh, to get that together. And we we're in that middle of that project when she passed away. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, it's beautiful. And I was thinking on the drive over because I was finishing up the memorial one that you did where it has snippets of your guys's conversations. And it's, it's really something to check out. It's re- really beautiful. And I, that's exactly what I thought is what a, an amazing legacy that you have helped facilitate for her. And, and I was assuming at the time, honestly, that you guys had been working together for years yeah. and years and years. We just hit it, hit it off. It's so short, short, short time. So you saw her ads and then you guys eventually connected. And then I connected and got into her class and, and then, then the we coaching. connected because of that. Okay. How did, how was your coaching how did that impact your coaching before? How was your coaching before? And then how was it impacted after receiving the conversational intelligence training? Well, put together all the neuroscience behind why I feel what I feel and what I do with with what I do. And it also gave me a chance to pass that on now with the science behind it, because I'm kind of a, I really love neuroscience. And I know it's a young, um, it's a young study of things away, you know, a new lens and academics to look at things, but it made so much sense. And so I can uh, support people by showing them things that Judith showed me that helped them go, Oh, that's why that works. And that's why this doesn't work. And if I make this small adjustment, I can be a better person. My relationships are stronger. Oh, and this is where, by the way, trust grows. So going to down to Australia and studying with Oka and Susalu with the MBIT and understanding the multiple brains and uh, the functions of those and then putting conversational intelligence on it, all of a sudden I started to understand how trust is built through the neural networks and you can't fake it. Right. And so having that knowledge assists me to assist others. Mm -hmm. Well, it's, it was really fun to read your book and see how you've been deploying some of those things. I have a unique view in this moment right. because, well, I'm, I'm an early, I get an early read, right? <laughs> yes. And also I am one of your, uh, you are my coach. And so it, it was really cool to see that in the book, you guys in the book, it, it, it walks through exactly from what I can tell the process that you've been working on with me. And to have that knowledge in book form, to be able to reference Uh, and go back to, I think is incredible. So I want to spend just a brief moment talking about the book. And was this something that has always been on your list to do, to write a book or like this or just a book? This book, this book, uh, I can't tell you it's, it's probably fallen apart now. It used to be on the shelf, but I had a book called soul salt's book. Well, the title is now soul salt. Okay. That's the main title. There's a subtitle, but, uh, that's not, I didn't manifest it to say, okay, it's going to be called, called soul salt. It's just the salt of your soul comes up and when you can access it. So over my lifetime, I've gathered and listened and studied and accumulated strategies to help me navigate a world that wasn't going to let me be true and courageous and free. And I've had to make decisions and every one of the tools comes back to an element of what I call, you know, the eight elements of your, the salt of your soul. And so the impact from Judith is not only did it change and and broaden my coaching skills, and that's why I'll always be a student of coaching. I'm in a class right now from the 50 thinkers, best thinkers. Um, I just finished one uh, about a year and a half to two years ago from, um, 
David Peterson, who was the head coach for a while at Google. Okay. And so I'm going through these, these studies and these mentorships and these courses to be a better coach. But the book kind of accumulates my life's work of how did I get to where I am? And how am I supporting other people to be their best self? And there's a lot of new research on best self. Yes. And, um, and so that it's just, it's the life's work right there. Now there's the new, a new offshoot of that because a lot of people who come to me are reinventors and they want to reinvent their working identity or their personal identity or recalibrate how they do their work. That will be the next book. Okay. Uh, and if they have the basis for this first book, you can go anywhere. You can be a better person, a better manager. You can be a better parent. You can be a better athlete. You can be whatever it is you're being or who you're trying to become that you know there's a spark inside of you that is that. Mm -hmm. This will guide you to that. I absolutely agree. And I, I'm so excited to see how that goes out into the world. When are you anticipating that be released? 28th of February. Okay. That's our anticipated date. And we are working hard because we're now, I can't write on it anymore. I, I need to finish my acknowledgements. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm, I'm tying in some of the last, you know, I'm just going back and looking and making sure that I, the science that I want to have in the book noted. So that if people want to go read the scientific papers or the books or the documents, they can go to those. Um, because I tend to be like that. I want to see yes. what's the study. How did they find this out? And so I'm going to try to put some of that in it, mm -hmm. although we don't try to make it a science book. It's backed by science. It's yes. backed by research. It's backed by studies. I don't pull anything out of my butt and give it to you. It's tested. It's true. And there's science behind it. So the book is, um, it's a culmination of my life and it's a culmination of the work that I do at, here at Soul Salt. It, it is a very strong rep representation of, of you in my opinion and who you are and what you have claimed and said to be your purpose. I think in the book, you said that you realized at one point you are an agent for goodness. Mm -hmm. Am I getting that right? Yes, it did. It came to me. <laughs> the, so the book, you guys, this is the thing about the book. It, it's not, um, it's not like theory. It's actionable things, which I love about it. And I'm so excited about it. Um, anytime I've found a book where I can actually go execute. Yes. Is incredible because there's a lot of books that touch the surface on mm -hmm. certain things that are like you, you go do this and then you have to go down a rabbit hole, which can be good and great. And, and if your soul is calling you to do that, do that thing. But this book is actionable. And I would say, what, what is your hope for someone who wor works through the book? Because it, you will do work. If you're, if you're going to, you're going to work. Yes. You're going to work. It's, it's not like, so you can get the reward. <laughs> yes. If someone is willing to read and to do the work, um, what are you hoping? What, what do you anticipate? What have you seen in your coaching clients that they can receive out at the end of it? So, um, this was a really difficult book for me to write. I've been working on it for five years when I finally decided to sit down and mm -hmm. I've had, I even hired a writer's room to help me get it out of me mm -hmm. because it's basically how I coach, but in a book. So what was hard was trying to turn it into writing Yes, when it's a, an art and science of human interaction. It is. And that's why it is so actionable because the, the reason I'm a coach is our whole premise is uh, Sir, 
Sir Whitmore, John Whitmore, who was the premier coach in um, England, and I got to interview him at one point uh, and talk with him. His premise is you was you raise awareness as a coach, and then you hold someone responsible to doing something with that new awareness. It's not okay to just know and not do, because then you don't change, you don't grow, you don't have that evolution. And so that's what I wanted to put the, into the book is if you're all about wanting to evolve and become your best self, you're going to have to go through a process. You can't read a book. Yes. You have to go through stuff. Yes. And uh, it's like if, if we wanted you to become a better athlete, we're going to have to do some lifting. And there's, you know, there's an element of endurance and an element of strength. And then that can be turned into power. And there's nutrition and there's sleep. And the whole thing is, okay, but who does that for the salt of your soul? And that's what the book does. It's yes. a gymnasium of going through these exercises and you mine out who you are. And then the cool thing is, I know I don't like being called a guru because I'm not one. Because I believe you are your own expert. But you need somebody to shine a light where you can dig. Yes. And find out what's there and then say, okay, try that. Do something with that. Now what happens? Yes. You know, I do my best in fencing when my, my coach looks at my body type and the things I like to do and then says, okay, so try this with that move. And with your speed, try this with your speed. And then it fits me. Yes. Instead of, okay, this is how we always do it. You know, that you can't do the gestalt thing. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I'm trying to do with the book is, you will find your own answers and you should find your own answers. These are the questions and the exercises by which you can find those answers. Yes. Did we answer the question? I, I oh yes. Yes, I think so. And and it it Oh, here, here's yes. the goal. Here's the goal. I can only reach so many people and I can train other coaches. Um and I've done that before. But what I find most is I wanted, and, and some people laugh and say, oh, that's such a small goal. And I'm like, it's impactful for me. If I can change 20,000 people's lives, I will feel like then the book had its purpose. Yes. Because those 20,000 people will make other people's lives better too. Yes. And so that was the number that came to me. And so I, the, the thing of it is, is I want at least 20,000 people to have the impact that I can't give to them because I can't coach 20,000 people right. in a day or right. a year. But they can coach, I can be their coach in the book. Yes. I love that too. I, the access is significantly greater in that form too. I was thinking the same thing because you can't be everywhere at once. Um, it would be incredible. And we would all have medals. <laughs> <laughs> we would all have medals and titles, but it, it gives access to people who, to anyone. And it is, I really do think it is for anyone who is genuinely, this is how I would sum it up and you can tell me how you would sum it up, but anyone who is genuinely wanting to dig deeper, if they're having questions on purpose, if they are, like you said, wanting to reinvent themselves mm -hmm. um, and really trying to figure out what makes them tick yes. and, and what aligns with them and what's true for them. The core values piece I think is huge. Yeah. I mean, all of it is so huge, but for me personally, the core values work that we've done, that is exactly how it is in the book, which is incredible. A lot of people are nervous to give out how they're coaching or their tools. They get nervous. They want to hold it close. Well, and, and I love that you are here it is. sharing it. And there's a copyright on it. Mm -hmm. um, but what, what I, that's a very curated and, 
and studied and excavated process. There are a lot of processes for finding your core values, and I'm not going to nix any of them. Mine just seems to get to it quickly, deliberately, and when you finish, most people don't have to go back and recalibrate. Yes, I did recalibrate one of my values because I was coming out of the closet, and it was this process that helped me get out of the closet. What are these values? And I thought because I hadn't had enough openness and honesty that that was the value, hyphenated openness and honesty or honest openness or something. Right. And as I started living, I went, oh, no, that's just integrity in my book. So, yeah, I'm putting it out there. I mean, this is the secret sauce for people finding it. And we do have copyrights. And there are people, and I've already had to have conversations with some people who infringe on those. I'm more concerned right now that individuals get to find the salt of their soul. You know, in the future, there, there may be some kind of facilitation that coaches or therapists or other people can come to, and then they can take people through it because there's a very specific methodology that I explain in the book that some people swipe it and then try it and they don't get the same results. Right. And, uh, everything there has been tested and tried and again, studies behind it as to why I say what I say when I say it and what order things go in. Because, uh, one reason why I love to teach is there's a, I can set context and I can see this instructional design of how do you get somebody from A to Z? Yes. And so in every chapter it was, how do we get somebody from A to Z without anybody being there to answer their questions? Yeah. And so that takes a lot of rigor and thought and, um, and now it's there and, you know, I don't know if soul salt will live beyond me, but the having, and having the book out there, maybe it will. It's not that I aspire that it will. It's just, I'm more one of those people that's like, show up, be the best person you can. And life is going to meet you and bring you things that are better than even some of the things you can imagine. Yeah. And so I don't know what the future holds for the soul salt content, but it, it's, it's going to be on the scene now. Well, and I love that. And I really do. I, I believe very much, uh, um, in the law of abundance. And I do think that it's going to open up a lot of opportunities to reach those 20,000 and more people, uh, in ways that maybe we, we haven't even thought of yet. I really do. Well, you know, I publish a lot online. We have a lot of blogs yeah. and we have really good SEO. We have a good SEO team, John Naster and, and Joanna Naster up in Canada and Toronto. They're very great partners. Um, and already I find that my content is a bit of a lightning rod for people with character mm-hmm. because I'll have people reach out to me. I had a, a, a woman in Egypt reach out and say, Lynn, may I have permission to share this with this group of people. And she asked and we gave her written permission and somebody, uh, in Norway and, you know, they'll, they'll come out of the woodwork yes. and it's almost as if their character shows up and you go, thank you for asking. Yes. And, and then we talk to them, honestly, how are you going to use it? And then we see what we can do. Um, and, I don't think there are, there are a lot of people that aren't aware of intellectual property and pro- intellectual property rights. And I, I just feel like the character of some people, they just make me smile and they give me a very nice feeling in my heart about the goodness in many, 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 many human beings. Yes, I, I agree. Um, I want to, I want to go back to 
some parts about coaching. Um, I mean, it's, it's a big topic. It's what the book's about. I've been curious about this. I want to see your, your opinion on it, hear your opinion on it, because as you were explaining, you know, what you do in your daily practice of coaching individuals and how you receive coaching and how you are, uh, always a student, right? Some people don't think they need it. And I, I don't know which <laughs> book I read or where I heard it about how, you know, the, the people with significant amount of talent and even biology, they're born with like the body to run or the body to swim. Tiger Woods. And right. Jordan, Michael Jordan. Yes. They have a coach. Yes. <laughs> the entire time. There's not a point. It doesn't seem with, with the people who become very good at their craft yeah. where they don't have guidance like that. So what do you think gets in the way for people the mm -hmm. most about seeking out a coach? And then I have a follow-up question on that. That's a good question. It could be something else for some other people. I actually did an IG reel on something kind of like this. We can have trauma that we haven't healed that makes us contract in and become protective. Mm -hmm. And so somebody looking at us or having us grow may take us out of our comfort zone of fighting and, and just kind of rotting from the inside out, <laughs> you know, and we're all gifted yes. enough trauma, capital T or small T or accumulation of a lot of little T's uh, that we all have things that we could heal wounds. And so sometimes it's that sometimes it's insecurity. Sometimes it's just, narcissism. Sometimes it's an ego. Sometimes it's just being ignorant of, uh, what's possible. So often it's protective. You know, I get it more from, uh, very successful white men. Like I don't need this. Yeah. And it's like, right. Probably not. Um, but here's the thing about coaching we know in neuroscience that there are neurons that will not fire without somebody on the outside facilitating. And so that's why coaching works. Wow. And we know that in best cases where the coach and the, and the coachee have great chemistry, and this is, this is proven in the executive realm that that person can grow up to 30% more. And you think, well, oh gosh, I want a 75%. Well, maybe you came into coaching at 50% where you needed to be. Yeah. And that gave you up to 80, 80. Yes. you know? And so, uh, and the ROI can be even more when you look at, at uh, some of the little studies we did on some of our coaching. It can be huge as far as dollars and cents and time. But I feel like we all have our own favorite little ways of protecting ourselves. Yes. And we're resistant. And, um, and maybe also the timing's not there. One, one thing that Dr. David Peterson, um, that former head coach from Google, said as, as I was sitting at his knee studying with these other folks is that everybody's coachable, uh, if you approach it correctly as mm -hmm. a coach and that gets debated. Um, I would think that even some hard cases and I've had hard cases, I think you have to build that trust and, uh, find a way to meet the person right where they are and not change who you are, but right. accommodate you know, it's like they're a little child in the corner and they've got their back turned to you and they, but they want you to, they hired you to play ball with them. And so you might roll the ball over to them and it, 
rolls up to their back and just sits there <laughs> and nothing happens that day. And the yeah. next day you roll it again and nothing happens. And you might go in third, fourth, fifth time and you're just about to leave and the ball rolls back and hits your foot before you walk out the door. And you go, oh, there's something there. Yes. And, you know, and then there are also times where it's like this isn't working for either of us, so let's not do it. It's not yeah. the right time. Right. Maybe it's not the right chemistry. But there are a lot of different um, factors yes. and elements. And so that's that's my take on it today. Um, tell, tell me about the range. I've, I've been wondering about this because I, I think for a lot of people, if they hear like, this is my coach, at least in the world that I live in, most people could assume it's like a business. It's, it's strictly a business coaching thing. Like, uh, or like yeah, C level. Cause you're such an entrepreneur. So, so like, it's like, you know, you're working mainly with C level. They could assume that C level people in, in corporate America or, or in corporate, um, leadership positions around the world. Tell us about the range. You discuss that in the book, the range of people that you have worked with and that you are working with. Uh, can you just kind of touch on that really quickly? Right. Because who I'm coaching isn't about their position. It's about who they are as a human being. Right. And if they're ready to uh, earn a living or live their life by doing things that inspire them and being inspiring, then I might be their person to talk to. And so that ranges from executives uh, I have a lot of executives and, and you know, C-suite level. I love working with managers as well, uh, although I have people on my team that are probably more specialized with the managers now. Mm -hmm. But if it's communication and how to be able to grow people, I could be all over that because that's what I do Right. And with coaching. I also have a very soft spot for entrepreneurs because I never expected to be one. And I think, I really believe it's the entrepreneurs, the visionaries, and the innovators who, if this world's going to be saved, it will be saved by them. And we have some, some people out there that are, again, throwing, you know, throwing a wrench in the works and other things, and people consider them entrepreneurs, and they're not the who I'm talking about. Right. The backbone of the American economy is still resting on the small business person and who they hire and, and the revenue that they generate. And, uh, you know, the stay-at-home individual who's now working from their bedroom uh, is part of that. Right. So I want to be with the people who want to evolve. And that that could be the humble yet talented stylist behind a chair, that, you know, the hair designer. It could be the individual that um, I'm thinking of that lives in the Hamptons that's doing all the press work at Fashion Week because they are a rock star, they're royalty in the hair industry, because they're creative and they're vivacious and they want to learn and they want to grow and they're about human development themselves. They, they touch lives. All of that up to the C-suite um, athletes because they know I know what they're dealing with and it's mindset. Right. Um, and then people who are scared to death because they've got to reinvent. They don't know what to do, how to do it, what they want to do when they grow up, but they know they got to change because every day they don't, a part of their life is just sucked away. And so I want to be in the dynamic of individuals who are willing to put it on the line and do it because that's what I'm doing with my life. And that's why I study 100%. what I study. That's where I want to be. And that's who I want to support. That's what enlivens me. Mm -hmm. Was there a turning point? Like, how did you, when did you decide that you wanted to be a coach? And were you into like self-help prior to like self-discovery, self-help prior yeah. to that? And because you started Soul Salt at age 39, 1998, 19, 1998. 
1998, where you kind of officially launched and you were doing some coaching before that or teaching before that? Yeah. So I was teaching. And then what happened was, um, I started to read some self-help books and I recognize, in fact, one's on the book. It's like, uh, you know, you can think for a living. And I was like, that's what I do, but education's not paying me. And then I was a single parent with three kids and I could also see the mess that was coming that we're now dealing with in public schools. And I didn't want to be a part of it. I could see that the almighty test was going to be the single way of determining if we were successful. But at the same time, we were failing children in the homes and not raising them in a way where they could come to school and feel safe, have three meals, have clean clothes, have the kind of emotional stability to be able to focus on learning. And I was dealing with so many abuse cases, you know, in classes. Mm -hmm. In sixth grade, you might expect a couple of them. But when I would go down and teach a third grade class and, and 12 out of the 36 were dealing with abuse or abandonment or lack of financial sustenance, uh, a parent that was having a hard time just focusing on being a human. Right. You started to see this deluge of what was coming down the track. And so I waved my hand and said, we have to change. We have to meet it. And then, of course, I was greeted with, we're fine and you're a traitor. And I thought, I don't belong here because I really want to teach the child how to have life skills. Goldman had just come out with emotional intelligence. And I felt like, why are we not teaching that? They need life skills. When they can get life skills and they can center themselves, they can learn. But we're pounding facts into their heads and we're not even worried about, are you hungry? Right. So you were, you were... What, so you taught like elementary school? I taught elementary school for 15 years and then I knew I needed to leave because of course I'd spoken out enough. There were teachers that were kind of blackballing me Mm. and uh, and after me. And I thought this is strange because I knew a couple of them were potentially closeted too. And they were going to try to pull that card on me. And I was in Utah Valley. Oh. And so I thought, uh, (laughs) yeah, I need to get out of here. And so, um, I jumped into a consulting group. I was a, a, an educator, uh, uh, a con- educational consultant. And, um, and then I, I knew that was going to not last. And so I went to the best network person I knew and she sent me to a business coach. She says, you should go to a business coach. And I was like, what's that? I went one time, saw this person in their home office. Okay. They had hiking boots on, they had a tea mug. Their commute was 30 seconds. Yeah. And I looked at the character of this individual, the competence, the grace, the humanness. And I went, is that your coach training? And they said, yeah, in big part, it is. I went, I want that. So I decided to go to finishing school to finish becoming a decent human being. And I love the lifestyle. So there was a little voice inside that said, just like that foil. It was like, put that back in your shelf there. Someday you want a home office. Well, we're sitting in it. Right. I could feel the (laughs) life this person had, the freedom they had, which resonated with my value of freedom and the courage that it took to start your own business. And so I went to school. I got a job. Uh, This coach assisted me in reinventing and I became a writer for Franklin Covey and a writer and developer. And then I was getting my work done on time. And so I became a project manager. Then I studied project management, got my PMP. I was the only person at the time at Franklin Covey in their project management. And we were teaching project management to the world who had a PMP. Oh. I had to have it for the integrity. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, There's that integrity again. It was, it was that integrity <laughs> again. And then, you know, staying true to myself. And then I got asked, the coaching group knew that I was studying coaching and I'd gotten my MCC through the ICF and I had a coaching. I had an agreement with Franklin Covey legally. I'm going to coach on the side. I'm going to build a business. I started in 98, but I didn't name it until 
2002 because I knew I would give it a silly name. And, uh, and some people think soul salt's silly, and I'm like, that's what my clients got, so I'm going to trust them. Salt of the soul didn't roll off my tongue, but soul salt when you yes. transposed it. And so I let them name me and uh, put out a sh- you know the shingle, and I would work my butt off in the morning. I'd have East Coast clients. I'd come home, and I'd have West Coast clients. And on Saturday, I'd have live clients. Uh, from the Salt Lake area, mm-hmm. Ogden, um, Provo area. How are you? How are you gaining those clients? Like, how? how what mouth. was the funnel? It was word of mouth, and then also being the director of innovation at Franklin Covey Coaching, I was training. I was leading their coach training, so a lot of people would know my name. And later on, they'd go, you know, I won't want you to coach me, or like I'm sending one. you somebody. Mm, okay. And so I just hit it just right, so that my word of mouth that I had grown over the years since 98. And then also I spent 18 months working those as a side gig, a bridge job yeah, and putting it out marketing 20% of my time marketing. If it was my entrepreneur hours, 20% market, market, market. And, uh, it, it just kept growing, but I was shaking again in my boots because when I left, I had three months of pay saved up. I had three kids. I had a mortgage. I had to pay for the insurance now. Yes. Even though uh, one of the children was an adult and was going to move out soon, and then the next one was going to leave, it's three years younger than that, was going to leave after that. I, I, I would shake on Sunday uh, after I started on my own. I would be like, oh, boy, yeah, tomorrow's coming, and it's another work week, and can I pull it off? Yeah. But I kept growing, and I've never looked back. We've yeah. gone up and down in finances with the 2008 bust mm-hmm. and now the pandemic. But it taught, they have always taught me cash flow lessons and things like that. So, um, yeah, it's scary to go out on your own, but it's also a way where you can't get fired. Yes. You have freedom there <laughs> yes. again, right? Well, it, it, it's so curious to me because I've heard you mention now a couple of times you didn't expect to be an entrepreneur. You didn't plan on it. I was a teacher and then right. I was an employee. Was there anything though prior to or during like your teaching where where you showed some entrepreneurial? Yes, I went out and got my real estate license. Okay, I tried things and I tried things all along. Uh, when I was first a mother, I became an educational consultant for uh, Discovery Toys. Okay, I always tried this these side gigs. Mm-hmm. There was always a part of me that was being um, entrepreneurial, but I didn't own it mm-hmm. until I saw that other coach and went, "I want to own that I kind want of lifestyle." That, yeah. That is incredible. That's so fun to me. I love hearing the backstory and how people learned something so important about themselves. And when they didn't think that that was even the case, I have in my notes here too, that I think you brought up how we have slightly similar story because I never anticipated on being a baker. Right. But you were at (laughs) one, if I can say it, one hell of a baker. Thank you so much. Very kind of you. But yeah, never planned on it. And my story has always been, people ask me, oh my gosh, did you want to do this since you were a little girl? And, and I would say, no, I wanted to own a business. <laughs> <laughs> just hap- The first one just happened to be a bakery. And then the second then, one was a soda shop. There you go. So, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm going to go back to that because sometimes we don't know who you are until we see what we've done. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you, you remember hearing people say to you, these are the best cinnamon rolls, or this is the best idea for, you know, best branding because you've done those things and you go, yeah, I liked it, but other people do too. 
You know, I, I had uh, Marva Sadler was the COO at Franklin Covey when I became a, associate director for project management office. And she knew what my aspirations were because I met with her. I had one-to-ones with her because she was, I directly reported up to her. Mm-hmm. And now she, uh, she's been the, uh, the CEO for WBEX, and now she's the CFO for coaching.com. And she said to me recently, she said, Lynn, you know, the dream that you wanted, you've, you've given yourself. I remember you talking about this home office and this book and these other things. And, and sometimes you need those people on the outside. So I'm curious for you, have you had people on the outside reflect back to you, Sierra, pieces of yourself? And then you started to own them because you're like, oh yeah, that's the name for it. Oh yeah, I did that. And okay, that's success in some level on some level um i think the thing that i can let me see if this answers your question so yes like i i i was always quite entrepreneurial so my mom would talk about stories about like i did a lawn mowing thing when i was like in second grade and with I like with it. clip art I made something and taped it down on our mailboxes. <laughs> we lived in like a, a small, like, like actual trailer park. It was nice though. And, and so we had all the mailboxes. And so I got like one client and Out I was how always, many? Oh, let's see. There were like 70 people in that. So trailer. your percentage was right on the <laughs> my, one to 2%. There percentage. you go. <laughs> yeah. So I got like one, but I was always trying to think about just either how to solve a problem or even try how to make money. I think mm-hmm. it started with making money and, and I grew up kind of thinking that that's what I wanted to do because we didn't have a lot. I'm super grateful for what we had though. My parents worked very hard, but I, I later realized over the last few years that is absolutely not about money for me. And it's about creation and about yes producing. Yeah. And you have helped me realize uh, certain things about myself that I thought were this is the value of a coach, you guys. Certain things that I thought about myself that were maybe um, negative yes, or that were perceived as negative or not right, but were actually exactly who I am and what I need. What you need to lever- though that's those, that's a lever to pull on, the yes. pull you use. That's how you do your heavy lifting because your creativity mm-hmm. is such a part of you that it's not just creating, you're literally giving pieces of Sierra out when mm. you, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, um, that one could make me emotional actually, because I didn't, I didn't realize that. And I didn't realize like for me, for those who don't know my story, I, I recently shut down my bakery, shut it down retail about a year and a half ago, did wholesale for a year and then shut down completely. And I didn't realize how difficult that would be. Um, for a couple of reasons, but because I was tying so much of myself, your identity was there to that. And, um, now I can, with your help, I I can differentiate like the gift that I give when I'm, when I'm creative Mm -hmm. and how, uh, I can give certain pieces of me, but it's not me. Mm -hmm. Like it's not the thing that makes me, me 100%. The sacredness of you (laughs) is not uh, diluted and there is no, um, it's, it, there's, there's no prostitution of who you are. Right. It's actually a gift that you're giving mm-hmm. of your, the twinkle in your eye. Mm-hmm. And I still, I still have, I have that, like that's mine. And then I just nobody, share yeah, it. Yeah, nobody can take it. And me. for a while it was really convoluted. Like I had a really hard time deciding to shut down my business that I've shared with you because I had wrapped up, I think 
many entrepreneurs can do this. I'd wrapped up so much of myself and my value mm -hmm. in the thing that I you did created. Yeah. And that's so dangerous. It is. And, it, and you don't even have to be an entrepreneur to do that. I did that when I was a teacher. When yes. I decided to leave, yes. I was shaking. I went out uh, and wanted to travel to Vermont because I'd always been fascinated with the covered bridges. And I was on my way home sleeping in um, Marriott by Logan or some hotel at Logan Airport. I woke up at two o'clock in the morning in a, a cold sweat. What the crap am I doing? Yeah. And you have those, what the crap are you doing? No matter what your identity is, because you think you're losing a part of you and you don't recognize it's like clothing. It wears out. It doesn't, it's not in fashion. It doesn't fit anymore. It's, it doesn't suit you any longer. You have to change out. We have to keep reinventing. Yes. And you've, you've really caught on to, you have so many, you're like a Swiss army knife. You have so many things that you can use. You just have to decide what, what combination do I need? Mm -hmm. What do I use next? Right. Well, that's, that's been huge. And, and I, I, that's why I believe in, in coaching so much. And even if you, I mean, especially get the book, if you can't, if you can't, for some reason do coaching, absolutely get the book because it's right there in your hands. But just like you said, you need someone else to, help you see those things. And there's a quote I want to read here. This was from one of your YouTubes, I believe. I can't, I've, I've consumed so much of your content. I don't know if it, <laughs> you tell me if it's from the book or from one of your YouTube interviews, but you said when you are in the bottle, you cannot read the ingredients. And it's so true because if you're so much in your head, you need someone outside that you've developed trust with, like you talked about, and you're so good at doing that. Um, because it can be so vulnerable and so scary to go show certain parts of yourself to someone else. Uh, but necessary, I think to get, to make the progress that you want, at least in my case, it has been, but, um, it's been so helpful to have you just point out certain things that I've thought in my head before yeah, over and over. But when you say it <laughs> for some reason, it clicks. No, it's, it's because you, you have the words. And, and I think that kind of brings us back to some of your conversations with Judith, how important words are and how important listening is and how you're so good at deploying that. And, um, and then reflecting back and showing people those parts, like shining lights on those parts that they need to see at that time. Mm -hmm. And then holding them accountable in a way that's in my experience, it's just been such a gradual process. It's been, it hasn't been anything like forceful, I guess, or I don't know. Yeah. Cause it can't it's, be invasive. It's, it's not, been an art. Yeah. It's not my job to do that. Literally what happens and what's happened with you in session is I'll listen to you and you'll say things and it's almost like the words come out. And this is what I recognized Judith was doing when I watched her YouTubes. And oh, by the way, I should say, I don't, I didn't originate, you know, you can't read the ingredients when you're in the bottle. I don't know where that came from, but it, I, it was a YouTube and we were talking about it. And so it was like, let's make a YouTube out of this. Yeah. Uh, but you'll say things and the words will come out of your mouth. And it's almost as if uh, there's a bubble over your head and the words are there and I'm trying to write them down as fast as I can. Cause I know they're going to disappear like vapor right? and they're gold. And it's almost like this little chime goes off da, 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 and you don't hear it, but I do. And so I write it down. I go, did you just hear what you said? Cause your truth came out of you. And so it's just me going, I'm holding up. <laughs> this is what you said. <laughs> is this true? Right. Because this is dynamite. Right. This is truth. This is gold. This is okay. Go with this. 
You yeah. just gave yourself the answer. Did you hear it? Well, having that, having, having you there to do that is just so insanely impactful. And so I just, I, I'm such a proponent of coaching and just recommend it for anyone who needs help with any of the stuff that we've talked about at any, at any stage and to be open-minded to, to that idea of reinvention mm -hmm. or rediscovery. Mm -hmm. I think that's so many, it seems like you've probably seen this. So many people just can float the beginning of your book talks about that basically. Yeah, how, the Albert Einstein quote. How, how most people just kind of like are floating and just doing the routine of daily life without stopping to take their reins. Yeah, and saying, hey, I can choose here. That's why the drama triangle was created. You mm -hmm. know, we get into blaming or being a victim and don't think we have the power, but we always have the power. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's nice to kick the the chair, you know, the tire and complain and we'll get some vent and get some steam off. But then there's always, okay, if you are a responsible human being, then you are able to respond. So let's do it. Mm -hmm. All right. I just want to close up on a couple of things. And then I knew that I was going to want a, uh, potentially a round two at some point because <laughs> there's like 80% of my notes that we didn't cover, but I love that what we did. Let me just. Bring well, and you're so prepared. I, I hope listeners for this podcast appreciate that you do your homework and you get in and you literally script out and um, and and those of us who listen to podcasts, we know the difference. We are attracted mm. to those who do their homework and are prepared instead of those who say, "I'm a good conversationalist. Let's just wing it." Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um. Let's talk about really quickly as we're, as we're kind of closing up, what has this, this, this came to me and I, I have to say it because it came to me as I was listening to, to your podcast with Judith and, um, I didn't anticipate on asking this question, but what has been on your mind and heart lately that you, that it can be related to what we've talked about or related to making a dent that you want to share with the audience, what's been on your mind and heart and soul lately? What's, what's been in there, um, is that I feel like, you know, mother nature doesn't really care if we exist because mother nature is going to exist. You know, I was listening to a science podcast this morning and they said, you know, 99% of most species have already become extinct. Like, the, you know, and I don't, um, I've got to go back and, and see what they really meant by that. But it hit me because I've been thinking a lot about the Great Salt Lake and how we've got five years before it's completely dead. But we have 170 something percent of snowpack. And if we could get our butts together, which makes the logical, scientific, practical and financial sense, because we're going to, you know, this, this valley will become a death valley. Yes. If we don't change and everybody's home and everybody's livelihood and some people will die because of it. Um. And I, what's on my heart is the majority of us have been on a hamster wheel or sleepwalking and forgetting that we choose. And we've made a lot of choices either by default or, you know, by choice that we are where we are. But as a human race, I have a, lot, a deep love for this planet and for the human condition. And so what's been on my mind is how can I make a difference in my sphere so that people wake up to the fact that they can make a difference and that together we can actually become something better than the human race has ever been. Because we all have 
uh, history, there's one thing that's actual history, and then there's the mythology of the stories we tell. We all have the ability to be better. There can be more unity and more harmony, and uh, and we're wired for it. Um, Matt Lieberman's book Social talks about how we're wired for the connection, and we're messing it up. Yeah, and or we have messed it up, and so it's. I have a lot of hope in the youth. And um, those who are, you know, in high school, the millennials have their own place in that. There is, there is hope in the younger. And then there are a lot of us in the baby boomer who are looking at it going, gosh, we didn't cause all of this either. We got handed a bunch of this too. Because I was studying climate change in high school in 1976, 75, 77. What can we do? Because it's coming. Right. And uh, that's the thing that's in my heart is there is such a thing as unity and connection that can help us evolve up together Mm -hmm. and progress and become something better than the human race has ever been. And so I guess my book is a gift toward that. And what's in my heart is that that will be the answer. It may not be, uh, but I'm going to put my energy toward that. Yeah. I love that. That was beautiful. Lynn, where can people, well, first off, Lynn, thank you so much. It's been a joy to finally talk to you in person because all of our sessions have been virtual. Yes. uh, And come to your, your, I was going to say studio, your office is beautiful. Thank you for letting us use that. Where can people find you to reach out on the socials? Yeah. So consistently uh, the website is always full of what's happening Mm -hmm. and uh, we're constantly publishing blogs and we'll have the book launch information there too. Mm -hmm. Which Uh, is uh, www.soulsalt.com. Yes, soulsalt.com. And then uh, I have a presence on LinkedIn and I'll just, I'm going to be very transparent. We have a very trusted individual on our team that we meet frequently. We decide what's going to be posted there and then they post them. Mm -hmm. And Shannon D that runs the front office and is over operations runs our Facebook and we talk frequently and with this other uh, individual, they're both named Shannon, Shannon D, Shannon Judge. (laughs) We decide what goes on Facebook. I have to have my experimental place. And so I'm on Mm -hmm. Instagram. I have Lynn Mm -hmm. Christian on Instagram, but um, I'm also on Soul Salt. That's where I probably post the most. I'll put my personal things like you'll see the fencing on Lynn Christian. Mm -hmm. Anything to do with Soul Salt is on Instagram. And so that's where we are on the socials. Okay. So it's at Soul Salt Inc. on Instagram, at Lynn Christian, L-Y-N. L-Y-N, I have one Instagram, But they're posting on Soul Salt Inc., majority of the time that's where i yeah yeah you'll see badassery on any of these (laughs) sites and even on the the home page of soul salt it says uh how to be a badass and find your purpose (laughs) in life and you're definitely doing that and showing others how lynn thank you so much for joining us today it's been a pleasure thank you for meeting me and thanks for the opportunity (laughs) you're welcome anytime (laughs)